Hey y'all, welcome back. Part three coming up in just one second here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, as we wrap up here, the Chase Thomas podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network on a Thursday, June 30th. Hope you guys enjoy part one and part two. If you didn't uh, have a chance to check it out, guess what? Right here, all in one place on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast. All kinds of great content and two other parts to today's program, so you can check those out uh, whenever is convenient. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your daily listen, uh, wherever and however that is. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Matt Green, fellow University of North, North Georgia alumni on the pod here to wrap up uh, part three today. We talked about a lot, a lot, a lot of college football um, a lot of stuff. UGA, we talked uh, Blue Bloods, what really is a Blue Blood, uh, the next SEC champ not named Georgia and Alabama, uh, first coach fired in the Power 5 ranks, why Hendon Hooker is a sneaky good Heisman option, Arch Manning choosing uh, Texas, uh, UGA's next star defender, and then which fan base is maybe the most delusional. delusional so all that and more coming up here on part three as we wrap up the thursday edition of the chase most podcast don't forget folks you can check us out on youtube uh, all kinds of great video content and all that good stuff over there youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast to uh, like and subscribe all that good stuff you can email the program for any mailbag opportunities or anything you have for me at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer still got a bunch of other uh, content coming your way this week uh, more big guests next week as well. Um, just as we continue on this summer of all kinds of great content here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. So uh, very excited for what's to come and all that good stuff. But uh, part three coming up in just one second with Matt Green. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. We're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I think uh, Matt saying he needed a swig uh, made the beginning of this podcast because, you know, I didn't know that that's what he was doing. I didn't know that's how we were doing things. But the full ride uh, with Matt Green, fellow University of uh, North Georgia alumni, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I am back and I am uh, now refreshed. You're refreshed. Are you a uh, ice water person? Big ice water guy. Don't drink Mm -hmm. coffee. Not a coffee guy. I just drink ice water throughout the day. Is that it? Like, so you have no other, like you're just drinking water throughout no, the No, and then with like every meal, or like with most meals, like lunch and dinner, I'm probably drinking a Coke. Which like, Coke? Like regular Coke or Diet Coke? Just regular Coke. Just, Are you just serious? The, 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 pure, the pure stuff. No, that diet garbage. Coke, there's just nothing better like with a meal, like pizza with like a steak or just anything, honestly. A Coke is just, it's the perfect beverage to go. But I only drink it like with food. I don't, I will never like just be hanging out and just... Well, rarely mm. just be hanging out and like want a Coke. Like if I'm at like a, a a Braves game or something, I'm not just gonna get a Coke to drink and what? and nothing else. You know what I mean? If I'm eating a burger or something, I'm gonna get a Coke with it. But I don't just drink. I, I usually don't just drink Coke. That's interesting because like that's when I get a soda if I get one. It's like at the movie theater or a sporting event like when i'm never ever gonna have one outside of that that's like my only time it's movie theater happen. i feel like applies because you're yeah. getting like popcorn or something so yeah that that would also be a that would that would fit in there speaking of movie theaters i went to see black phone uh over the weekend uh with the fiance I've never even heard of that it's the new one uh with ethan hawk uh the scary oh, movie. okay 
You've probably you, seen you the advertising. The guy? I, I've never seen Ethan Hawke in a commercial. I mean, Ethan Hawke is uh, an absolute delight, and uh, he's in my top three all time. I mean, it's Jake Gyllenhaal one, and then it's a distant <laughs> two, three after that. Like a big Jake G guy. Is that right? Yeah, I love Jake G. Uh, Prisoners, Nightcrawler, Nocturnal Animals. Uh, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is. Uh, he's absolutely the, the Brokeback Mountain guy. It's a good movie. It's a good film. I've never seen it, but um, yeah. Jake, I can't even feel like I, I don't feel like I've seen that many movies. With Jake Gyllenhaal, in it, to be honest, hey, Ethan Hawke is like one of those like uh, Hansel's line about Sting and Zoolander. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't really listen to his music, but the fact <laughs> that he's making it, I respect that. You know, like. I don't feel like I've seen that many Ethan Hawke movies, but I'm like, that guy's a good actor. I've seen Training Day. I've seen, mm-hmm. what's the, G- Gattaca? Is that the movie? I'm not Ethan sure. Ethan Hawke, right? I'm not sure. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, good movie. Jude okay. Law is an excellent movie. But okay. um, yeah, so Ethan Hawke, I, res- I respect that. He's, he's, a, he's a quality actor. Yeah, no, I'm a Ethan Hawke guy for sure. I mean, before Sunrise, Sunset... And uh, After Midnight is one of my favorite trilogies of all time. It's a, it's a big thing. Um, it's the best rom-com trilogy uh, that you'll ever find. The most right? realistic love story that uh, you'll ever find. It's fantastic. You and Tori should bend I'm, it. I'm like, I watch movies, I listen to music, but I'm not a movie or music person right mm-hmm. like i can be entertained by just about anything you know okay and like i hear i'm the kind of person your stuff on the radio i'm like oh yeah that's a good song this is but i feel like music people are like oh, it's mainstream garbage you know mm. like real movie people are like oh there's no plot here whatever holes in the storyline I'm, I'm not that person hmm. when it comes to movies i like just i want to laugh and entertain me well, I either want a really good one or a really bad one. I don't like the in-between. The 6.5s are rough for me, where it's like, oh, man, you were so close to turning the corner to making this thing brilliant, or you were so close to just being a hilariously bad movie. That That's the worst spot to be in, is where you're right in that middle ground. If you have an IMD score... The movies like, that are played on TBS all, all ooh, the time. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing, where it's just, they're fine. And I don't, I don't want fine. I either want memorably bad, like the Wrong Turn franchise series, or memorably great, like uh, the Shawshanks of the world. So, um, I don't know, or any Jake Gyllenhaal movie. I don't know if you, uh, I can recite <laughs> it uh, if you need me to recite uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal experience. The day after tomorrow was that? That's not Jake. Who was it? That wasn't Jake Gyllenhaal in that movie. No, I don't think so. Do to, is that the? Are you talking about the apocalypse with the snow the, and everything? Yeah, the global warming movie. Yeah, Did I remember played? seeing that. I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal was in that. Um, well, I have to look that one out. Yeah, uh, as a uh, as the as the Jake Gyllenhaal expert, I'll, I'll have to trust you. I'm not seeing it. Uh, oh uh, no, he's in it. Dennis Quaid, is he Jake really? Gyllenhaal, and I, Emmy Emmy Rossum. There you go from uh, Shameless. I'll I'll take you at your word, sir. Velvet Buzzsaw. That's another great one. Uh, <laughs> There, there's all kinds of great ones. Um, but this is not a Jake Gyllenhaal appreciation podcast, although uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, whenever you want to come to the pod, more than welcome. More than welcome on the Chase Friend podcast. of the pod. Friend of the pod, always. Um, well, we have some college football we should ostensibly be discussing on this uh, Wednesday night edition here on the podcast. How many days are we away from the debut of a return, rather, of college football, Matt Green. We are 65 days away mm. from college football, sir. So that means this Saturday we will be nine Saturdays from college football. So in honor of the 65th day, 
as you can imagine, 65 is a hard, hard number to come up with. You know, linemen, mm. with all due respect to the linemen out there, um, they're uh, they're not, you know, they're not the most memorable players. Mm-hmm. So we went we went recent on this one. And uh, which which I just thinking about it, it's like he's got to be one of the best 65s of all time. Mm. Um, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, 25th mm. pick of the draft for the Ravens this year. Remington Award winner. I'm not going to lie. I thought when I saw mock drafts and everything coming out and Tyler Linderbaum projected first round pick, I thought to myself, hasn't Tyler Linderbaum been drafted like four times already? Like I swear every lineman from the Big Ten is some sort of who, – who's Matt Lindstrom? Like I know mm-hmm. that name. You know, there's all these Linderbaum, Lindstrom. I, I, who, the, who the Falcons draft from Notre Dame um, a couple years ago, the guard – Notre Dame. Maybe the, did the Falcons draft him or the guard from Notre Dame a couple years ago? I feel like I had a. Well, you had name Michigan or... from last year, Jalen Mayfield. Um, I'm thinking of maybe they... a guy from Minnesota a few years ago. The, the, mm. these, I feel like Tyler Linderbaum. It's just it's such a it's such a common offensive lineman name. It felt like I I I, I don't even I, I based that on very little, but yeah, six and five, uh, sixty five. Um, Tyler Linderbaum. So we'll give him some love and also. Mm. Six, six and five. I don't know if I've ever seen a team go six and five in the modern era of college football mm. because we just don't play that many games anymore. So shout out to the 2020 Auburn Tigers mm-hmm. who also went six and five and uh, in, in honor of 65 days to college football. It's interesting too. I remember going through Auburn's uh, record history over decades, and five and five back to back years is just never happened. Like they went six and five, but I think the six is the bowl win, right? Didn't they get a bowl game for that? Am I misremembering uh, no, that? They lost to Northwestern in the bowl game that year. Okay, so they went six and four in the regular season. Yeah, and it's like that's the all SEC schedule too. Yeah. so it's like this six and five. It's like this is probably one of their typical years where they go eight and five, nine and four or something mm. like that with a couple easier wins at a conference. Well, they never do it. Like that's the whole thing is if you go through their history, they never do 500 back to back. And if they do it, there's a coaching change. So if <laughs> Brian Harston <laughs> is somewhere within six and six this year, he's out. If you look through their history, like you just don't go three straight years of 500 football at Auburn. Like that's just not something that continues. And we're just like, well, here we are. This is where we're at. It's That's because not... you know what it's time for, though, right? What? It's time for an Al- a win over Alabama. It's it like that, that. That's what happens for Auburn. It's like once all hope is lost, then mm. then they they have this breakthrough season, and they beat Alabama, and then it's like everything's good again, and that'll that'll ride us out for the next four or five years before we get negative again, and then we beat Alabama again, and everything's fine again. I mean, it's not a bad thing to be Auburn where you, when you do have the special season, you know that you're going pretty far. It's not one of those special seasons that's going to be wasted, but then you're going to have to go through the seven and five, six and six, eight and four. And you kind earn of slot. it. Like yeah. Auburn never fakes their way to an SEC championship appearance. Like mm-hmm. they, there's, there's six ranked games on their schedule on the way to that. Yeah. It's I mean, like even Auburn, a couple of years ago, 2017, it's like they, they opened with Clemson. It's like on top of that ridiculous schedule, they had they played another college football playoff team. Like just just absurd. They played three college football playoff teams in 2017, 
and I mean, we're almost went, a, and we're an SC championship game away from being a college football playoff team. I mean, they had to go. So you have Clemson on the schedule, and then you have to go uh georgia bama georgia again and it's like <laughs> it just it, that was a that's a big what if year for you're an auburn fan where you're like carry on's not healthy bruised up like yeah you did what you're supposed to do and then you have to do it again and that's something that's waiting for those acc and just that's something that's going to be part of uh I mean, divisions are gone and they're going away. And this is something that that year is going to be the norm, like where a team has a great year, like A&M, you finally break through, you're 11 and one, and then you beat, uh, you beat Alabama, you beat whoever. And then it's like, okay, who's the, who are we facing the SEC title game? Alabama again. And you're like, oh my God. And it, it yeah. just it's going to be so, significantly so more difficult a two loss sec team is going to just have so many good wins on their belt but it, yeah. it's like but it, it's just going to be a brutal conference but but yeah that that 2017 like and, and thinking about that that auburn team too like i don't know if you remember the start of that sec championship game davin bellamy and like the second quarter davin bellamy gets that strip sack and like Auburn's like inside the 20, inside the 25, up 7-0, like mm. about to go up 14-0. Like that game, like after that play, it was like Georgia just dominated the entire rest of the game. Like 28-7, I think was the final score. But it's it can just come down to like just plays that just swing the the momentum of a game. I mean, that's kind of what happened the, the first time they played in, in Jordan Hare when they just waxed Georgia. And that and that's another thing. Like coming off a game where you got blasted by this team, fall down 14 to 0 that could kind of change the mindset of the entire team and just the whole game. Yeah. And I mean, they have not sniffed that level of elite play since then. So uh, maybe things change this year. Uh, I have my doubts, um, but we shall see. We shall see. Um, Bill Clark retiring at uh, all, at uh, UAB uh, due to health related issue back stuff. Like he cannot, just get right um unfortunately with what he's dealing with health wise he's had multiple surgeries he's tried to get through it and i mean bill clark is like one of the all-time big what if coaches i was thinking about the coaches who never made the jump and tried like look at the brian kelly's of the world like if they don't leave cincinnati if um if let's see like urban meyer because he goes from bowling green to utah to florida and then to ohio state like those coaches who make that jump from like the group of five and at least try, we at least know what Butch Jones did at the power five. That's level. a big, we, what if I never thought about too, like Utah jumped to the power five mm-hmm. a couple years after urban Meyer, like who knows urban could have just built a pac 12 dynasty. That's true. I hadn't even like, that's another one. Like, yeah, he could have just stayed if they were already in the power five and yeah. that was a thing. Like he could have just been like, all right, I'm good here. And I'm just going to dominate the pac 12 for the next decade. And then Oregon doesn't happen. Oregon is not Oregon if Urban Meyer stays at Utah for years. Yeah, very possible. I uh, that that's wild. And who does Clark, Florida who does Florida go out and get into that? Does Florida get Nick Saban? Is that is that something that happens? I mean, the big the all time is just if Drew Brees is a Dolphin, Saban never leaves, and then Alabama. Who knows who Alabama hires at that point? Like, who do they who do they get if Drew Brees is a Dolphin and Saban never comes? Like that is just. That's the all-time college football what if. Um, yeah, I don't I know. Who, who are the coaches getting new jobs around that time? I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and guess probably not as successful as Nick Saban, whoever they would have gone no, with. No, probably um, not. 
Um, but shout out to Bill Clark, um, his longtime assistant's going to take over a longtime Alabama guy too um, for the year as the interim. But we'll see if they go outside. They have a new stadium uh, where the USFL has been playing all spring, so they have that uh, in Birmingham. But I mean, hey, he brought that program back, and Bill Clark is just someone I look at as like he's a he's a what if. Like I would have liked to have seen him at least get one shot as an SEC Power Five coach and seen what he could have done. Um, but. All the best to Clark, and uh, hope uh, hope he gets better and uh, has a healthy healthy retirement. Um, For sure, that, and that's a big time legacy. Like I feel like he's the guy who saved UAB football. It's well, like, not even was... saved, like brought it back. Like it was dead. Like UAB football went away. Like the whole sport went away. And then he made them good too. Mm-hmm. It's like he didn't just he didn't just make the team exist again. It's like they actually were good and like they're they're right where they they've kind of always been where they're like one of those more respectable group of five programs Mm -hmm. and it's one of those so weird that they shut their program down initially yeah um i do think it's funny like and you saw i think it's the texas five-star backer who is uh down to two and the two are like texas and texas a&m and he's like staying home i forgot what his name is but Oh, you know I, saw that, I saw that picture. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. Cowboy hat for both. And yeah, it's just, yeah. But I look at that and it just, one of the things, because I saw a lot of people, because uh, Ole Miss obviously wins the College World Series. So Ole Miss and Mississippi State went back to back College World Series um, in Omaha. And obviously the SEC's cleaned up in a lot of ways over the last couple of years. And something I just laughed about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, geography is pretty good. Like they care about baseball in uh, Mississippi. Like that's a national talking point or a state talking point where it's like the best players are in that area. And you can play baseball year round in the South too. Like that's a big, that's a big reason why not as many programs in the Northeast are as good. Right. I mean, UConn is an unbelievable story this year with the run they went on where you're like, Oh dude, I don't know how they did that. Uh, But you, you look at Ole Miss and Mississippi state, it's like, yeah, have you seen the dude? It's like a, it's like a major league baseball stadium a little bit. Um, I I don't know. I just think that kind of stuff's funny because when you see the Texas kid who the five star is like, I'm picking between uh, these two programs at home. That's an unbelievable advantage that uh, a lot of schools around the country don't have, where they're just like the five star just wants to stay close to home, and there's all kinds of talent in the state where there is no excuse for a lot of those places where it's just geography where you should have these guys like these kids want an excuse to stay home it uh it's a little bit different so i don't know we'll we'll see on that front but that was just to say that like bill clark and everything else like restarting uab in a really really great area in birmingham um and just it's a great job by him but it's also like it's different than restarting a football program in uh wisconsin or nebraska or something like a group of five school there it's gonna be a little bit harder to get those kind of players and jump that thing back back into full gear and that's, um, uh anthony hill jr yes is the uh is the five-star linebacker there you go from i believe DeSoto. is that right i don't know don't put me on the record on that well this is a live podcast so we're at, <laughs> i'm not going back through and editing that um pj fleck uh in the news this week for something you don't want to be in the news for matt green a former player val martin uh tweeted about the culture uh at minnesota i hadn't realized he's already been there since 2017 that's kind of wild that he's already half a decade at minnesota it does it feel like that for you does it feel like he's been at minnesota that long you said how many years this is this will be year five 
Okay, yeah, I guess that does make sense. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, it does feel like just a couple of years ago he was Western Michigan, the the next up and coming guy. So yeah, this year five, it definitely has flown by. Well, Val Martin, who was at NC State for three years and then transferred to Minnesota before the 2021 season, um, took to his Twitter account who said, quote, I'm not going to lie. The worst thing I probably ever did was go to the University of Minnesota. Fleck is a hell of a car salesman. It's crazy because I, when I go places, people ask me, well, how was Fleck? And I just say, he is different with the eyes emoji. And they laugh and say, we heard so many stories about him. And then he continued with this whole thing. Like he really, really opened up, but you read it and you're like, "Ah, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is going to have the kind of impact or result. Like I, when you read through what he actually said and what it's obviously a lot of conjecture, it's just like, I don't know. He's kind of dancing around some stuff where it's like you talk to anybody and that's the culture you talk to anybody, a lot of straw man stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't really know what to make of it. I think it's a bold move to just go this public uh, about a power five coach that it didn't work out on. But I don't know. I I don't uh, I don't think uh, he and PJ Fleck are going to be cool for a while based on this. Yeah, I kind of I kind of came away thinking like when I saw this too, like thinking, oh wow, like what's what's the bombshell here? PJ Fleck, he's like not 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 the not the guy he says he is or whatever. And I feel like he didn't really get that. It just kind of felt like a disgruntled former player guy didn't mm. get enough playing time, like. I don't know. There was nothing really specific. Like, I guess he didn't really talk to him. It was like, it was that a shot at PJ Fleck? Like, he never said a word to me. It was just, it would just be my D line coach talking to me. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I guess he's, is he saying he's like a phony, like all the energy and positivity PJ Fleck stuff? Like, I don't really know what he's implying here. You know what I mean? He just mm-hmm. sounds like, wasn't a good experience for him. It didn't, it didn't necessarily sound like anything like damning necessarily about PJ flex character or anything like that. Yeah. I don't know this. I I think this had an intent of being like a smoking gun type thing. And I just don't think it really had that. I just think he did not have a good experience. And there were some guys, some people on Twitter who was tweeting about like, weren't you kicked off the team for violation of team protocol or something? Um, And he, uh, I don't think We don't really know what the actual reason was, but of course, Twitter found that out and Minnesota fans found that out. Uh, Yeah, because one guy, Golden Gopher, tweeted at him, didn't you get kicked off the team for violating team policy? And then he said, uh, Val said, pack my locker up and got the hell on. So I don't know. And we don't really know what went on there, but it's just, I don't think this is a good look. I I don't. If you're going to like, if you're going to do this, it's like, I feel like you got to bring some specifics or else Mm -hmm. you just kind of sound like you're being salty. Like at the end of the day, it's like, if you have some specifics, like, oh, he so-and-so, he said he would do this to my mom and he never once talked to my mom or, you know, something like something specific about, I don't know how he just blatantly disrespects players or or whatever, but it, it just, it sounded like a guy you just never know with sports. Like I just, I you, especially like hanging around high school sports and stuff for years and years, you just hear so many of these disgruntled, Oh, you know, he didn't get enough playing time. And mm. like, I remember hearing parents after, after North Gwinnett played South Gwinnett. That's mm. probably 2004. Lou, Lewis William, then Lewis Williams mm. is on the team. 
and obviously like the best player in the country. Like dude's just a baller. And I remember these parents after the game going, you know, if we have to stick around for another year of this, you know, my son's not playing here. Like your son's not better than Lewis Williams. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like he doesn't deserve to be playing. So it's just, people have such a warped vision of how much playing time they deserve or they've earned. It's like, it's hard to, it's hard to put too much validity into just someone who's just kind of salty about how much they played. That Comet basketball during the early 2000s with Mike Mercer, Lou Will. Yeah, man, the Comet crazies. They mm-hmm. were, uh, they were wild for sure. That was a, that was a good team. North Gwinnett took them to the, took them to the brink in the elite eight, but, but they lost. Is Burkmar still kind of the best team in Gwinnett? Are they still running things every year? Is that still there? No, I, I feel like Burkmar, like that was back in the day. The Weatherspoon like, and company, like they actually, fell off. Actually, I think you might be right. I think a couple years ago they may have won state, but I think that was hmm. like kind of bringing them back because they had a dude that went to Indiana. I remember like a couple D1 guys in their team a few years back, but hmm. no, that was like 99, 2000, 2001. <laughs> the Tony Akins, like Wayne Arnold years, like. Are you yeah, a closet just like G, uh, GSA or GSA was just They were just guy? dominant, man. That, mm. I mean, that's my that's my Kevin Sandy era, is like your remember. dude. Like that's Parkview running football and like yeah. Berkmar running basketball at that point. They they won like Milburn Georgia ran the state. <laughs> yeah, for real. And I one of those years, remember Parkview played Brookwood in the state mm-hmm. championship. Like yes. I don't know if that was two thousand four or five. Oh, well, we played him okay. twice, I think, actually, because we lost the second time. I think that was 04 or 05. And then the first time, because we went 99, 2000, 2001, and we played them twice in 2001, once in the regular season, beat them, and then again in the championship game in 2001. And then 99, I think, was Harrison. And then 2000 was Northside Warner Robbins. I want to say with Chancey Stuckey, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, I remember... Last thing I'll say. 97 was Tiff County for folks counting at home. <laughs> 2003, North Gwinnett at Burkmar when Major Wingate, rest in oh, peace, man. was on uh, North Gwinnett's team. At Burkmar, uh, hit like a little little mini hook, mm. like five, ten feet, like with like two seconds left. Like that place, the standing room only is like the crowd is like the most – insane high school environment i've ever been in honestly the place because mm. like, these new gyms like Burkmar's old gym was awesome and that place was like scary honestly mm. like the crowd was just right on top of you most of these new gyms you know all that space to walk like mm. they usually don't get f- completely filled you know at least in my experience but this is just completely packed everyone around the railings up top like it was just it was insane north mm-hmm. went to the hostile environment got the win do you have a North Gwinnett helmet? We need to get you one of those to put behind that. I know. I have a Collins Hill helmet. I don't Why? have a North Gwinnett. Because that's my, that's my uh, GFL days. What do you Collins mean, your Hill. GFL days? I was a Collins Hill Eagle back in the day. Oh, but like, hold on. I'm talking about high school. You didn't go to Collins Hill at all, did you? No. Okay. You I went, the yeah. yeah, young, young, young age. Yeah. Youth, I, youth I, age. Well, I always forget they're like close to each other. You, I never, I never had a good read on where Collins Hill was. I never had a full understanding of like when they said Lawrenceville. I'm like, that's not Lawrenceville. Are they really in Lawrenceville? But it was just like a. I think it's a. I think it's a Swanee address. It's like yeah, right there, Lawrenceville, Swanee. Basically. I don't know. Well, now you're a Tequila Falcon, and you got yes, the sir. scuttlebutt <laughs> on all that. So, have the season tickets been renewed yet, or do you still have some time? Of course, man. Always won't miss a game. There you never go. miss a game. <laughs> in all seriousness, Tori's been waiting. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll check out a game at some point, for sure. 
At some point, he keeps kicking the can down the Friday, road. Friday, Friday night is—it's a long week, you know. You get to Friday night, uh, and you just want to chill. No, I'm I'm at Friday Night Lights. I'm booking my schedule. I'm figuring out which games I'm going to this fall. I'm ready. It's uh, it's it's work season. It's all gas, no breaks, Matt Green. Uh, speaking of all gas, no breaks, the UGA football recruitment of a quarterback in the 2023 class because. There were no breaks, and they uh, put all their eggs in the Arch Manning basket. Uh, Georgia does not land Arch Manning. He winds up at Texas to continue on this preposterous quarterback room that's developing in Austin. Um, Matt, now that you've had a couple days to sit on it, um, now that uh, you can kind of feel feel it out, how are you feeling about Arch not picking the Georgia Bulldogs? Do you think he made ultimately the right call? um where where are you at with arch did he make the right call absolutely not but Mm. um yeah like we like we said before literally right when we get off the podcast i don't even know if we had i don't even know if you posted it the morning after uh it's like arch arch had already committed to text i think it already been scheduled but yeah and i texted you i was like of course he does this right every time Mm -hmm. but yeah so that huge huge get for texas i um it's interesting to see him go to somewhere that's already got a a Quinn Ewers, a big time player like that, but you know, mm. Ewers will be what two years ahead of, mm. of Arch. So I guess that's enough separation where you should have enough time to play at Texas. I think at the end of the day, it's Austin versus Athens, like two awesome places to go to college. Like Sarkeesian has got a, a proven track record with, with quarterbacks. Like, I don't feel like it's nearly as stable of a situation because that, that was one thing I heard with, with Phil Fulmer did an interview with somebody. And obviously he's very close to the the Manning family. Mm. And he said that stability he thought was one of the, the big things that, that the Manning family like valued and everything. And I thought that meant Georgia, honestly, like there's not another, a more stable program in the country than Georgia, like not even Alabama, just because there's kind of this hanging out, with this little cloud hanging over, like, well, Saban's got to be retiring soon, right? Like mm. ne- next year, year after, you know, it's like, who knows? He could coach for another decade. The guy doesn't even look old yet, right? So I don't know that he's going to retire anytime soon, but Kirby Smart seems like a college guy. He doesn't mm. seem like he has pro aspirations. He's at home mm. where he went to school. So if, if he wants to be the coach for the next 30 years, he's going to be the coach for the next 30 years. Whereas Texas has just been a, a revolving door since Mac Brown left. It's, I mean, how many coaches are, is this, is this the fourth one? It was Charlie strong to Herman mm-hmm. to Sarkeesian. Am I leaving somebody out? Someone in between strong and Herman. I don't think so. And now Sarkeesian. So the third coach. Yeah, since, I, think, uh, I, I think it's a, yeah. Since third coach in the last decade or so, yeah. you know, so Texas is definitely, they always have all the raw materials, right? They always have everything that you could possibly want from the college town, from the financial support, just everything. And then now they Mm. have a coach that's got a lot of experience with offense and coaching quarterbacks. So at the end of the day, it's disappointing for Georgia to not get him. But um, I think with Georgia had the luxury of, for one, I don't, I mean, we saw Stetson Bennett, they just won a national championship. I don't think Georgia's as dependent on needing an elite quarterback to be Mm. an elite team. But you also, I mean, you got Carson Beck as the backup, who's been in the system for, what, three years now. Brock Vandegrift, a former five-star, going to be his second year on campus. And then Gunnar Stockton, another really highly touted quarterback, who's going to be a true freshman. So 
Georgia's got a loaded quarterback room and obviously Stetson Bennett coming back. So they got a loaded quarterback room. It would have just kind of been a cherry on top to just get this number one, five-star quarterback coming out of high school. It, I mean, there's a chance it could have just blown up the entire quarterback room if he's good enough to start year one, but it's like, that's a good problem to have if he, if he's better than all the other quarterbacks, right? You'll, you'll figure out who the backup is if he's the best one. So um, ultimately for Georgia, it, it's a bummer, but I mean, I think, I think they're still in a good position with, with the quarterbacks moving forward. We should have known it was going to be Texas when Cutcliffe was involved, where he was like an advisor for uh, Sarkeesian in like February before he got pulled into the SEC office, where it was like once he got mm. intertwined, like that was the kit, like that was the smoking gun right there. Is like get Cutcliffe involved, Peyton's guy, Eli's guy, like that's the the Manning guy. Like you you bring in the relationships because like you read all the reporting about like why Texas got him because there's no track record yet to success with Sark in Austin it's just the relationships like they did the relationship thing right with Arch um and I don't know like you're you, you the thing about I think where we're at in recruiting now is you can just never have enough you need to get one every year you need to have one every cycle because like Tennessee fans are like oh well what about Taven Jackson the four star from last year uh who can't who arrived early it's like how does this affect him with Nico it's like well the main thing now, if you want to be in the big game, is you have to have a new guy every year. And like just to push, because chances are someone's going to leave anyway. So the the cream rises to the, the the top, right? So whoever is number one, they'll figure it out. The best coaches like that, That's don't worry about that. You do not need to worry about having too many quarterbacks in your quarterback room anymore because a lot of them are going to be gone. And you, the ones who will stay are the one, is the guy who works out. Like he'll stay. Um, so... I am curious when it comes to this class, like there's not really, they don't, when you go through the top quarterbacks, go looking at this too, Georgia really hasn't put any eggs in any other premier quarterback prospect from this class, right? Like they don't, it doesn't seem like Georgia's going to add a four star even from the 2023 class, right? Do you see anyone who is, who is it? Is it the Brookwood quarterback? Is he going to, uh, they, are they going to turn their attention to, Dylan Lonigan, I think is his name, um, who's been longtime leaner to South Carolina. Like, I don't know. Like, what do what do they do? I mean, I think there's a chance they don't take a quarterback in this class. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might just take a guy like you're saying, just, you know, to build depth, you know, a guy who's not afraid, you know, to compete. But I know I think they're already kind of in um, in the conversation with, with Julian Sayan. Uh, 2024 quarterback out of California. He's a five-star, number two quarterback in the country behind um, Dylan Rayola, who's already committed to Ohio State. So I don't know. I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. Like if you think next year, if Stetson Bennett's gone, like, and Carson Beck wins the job, like Carson Beck. I mean, he's a he'll be a junior, I think, at that point. I'm, I lose track of all the the red shirts and the in the 2020 uh, the COVID years and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think he'll be a junior and Vandergriff would be a red shirt sophomore in, in 2023. Mm. So it's like, and then uh, Stockton's in his second year on campus. Like you got three guys that were four or five star quarterbacks. So I don't know if it's like, obviously they might not all come back, but I feel like Vandergriff, I feel like the situation could just be so up in arms that like, yeah, you might not be starter week one, but Two of so far in Kirby Smart's years, two of the six years Kirby Smart's been there, the guy who started game one 
was the starter for the entire season. Mm. So more times than not, it's not the guy who starts game one. At least it has been so far for Kirby Smart. So injuries happen, different things happen, like bad play happens, you know, guys don't don't play as well as you expect. So different things happen. And, you know, if, if, if Georgia's where you want to be, like it's it's a it's a wide open competition coming in 2023 so i don't i don't know that you necessarily need to bring a fourth guy into there because i think all all three of those guys are going to come in and think you know they can play but still have enough time to maybe not transfer if they don't play right away in 2023 so you're saying um you're saying stetson's not finishing the season as the starter that's what you're saying matt green no not at all i see i think if if stetson no it's possible with the with the what i just said but if Stetson's not the starter, like if if Vandegrift or if Carson Beck were to like take over in 2022, mm-hmm. I think that's what would throw a, a wrench into everything. Because then if if Carson Beck is like the established starter going into 2023, mm-hmm. then maybe maybe one of the younger guys feels a little differently. But if 2023 comes and it's like a three way legitimate competition, I don't think you leave just because you're not starter from day one because something can happen game one game two when the bright lights get on and different guys can just play differently you know so practice is is, is a whole nother ball game so yeah I, I i think arch manning not that it, it's not like to you know spin it that like oh it's a good thing that georgia didn't get arch manning they obviously wanted him but i still mm-hmm. think they're in a, a good situation moving forward I don't know. The way I look at it is just that like Carson's the one he'll probably stick around until he's a grad transfer and then start somewhere else and hope he pops at like a Cincinnati or something, uh, South Florida, uh, wherever and gets his starter. But he's he's good writing it out um, with Georgia for until he is a grad transfer and just can just keep learning under Monken and just get one shot because it's really all you need. Like if you're a good player at group five guy and you are draft eligible the following year, you just really need to time it right right like you just you don't need years of tape to go first overall like trey lance did not have to show much at uh, north dakota state to go in the early part of the draft mac jones only had to start one year obviously at alabama like it doesn't you don't need a full track record to get drafted and to really rise at the ranks you can even be seen too much like sam howell goes from number one overall to another season where they have a down year to yeah. fifth round, I think. Uh, Mitch Trubisky had one yeah. full year as a starter, and he wasn't exactly. at Alabama or anything, you know? So I think a lot of quarterbacks can now look at it and go, all right, we can sit. Like, there's no rush. Like, if we're in a good system and we might get a shot to play, like, just sit and wait, and then we just need one year and make sure that you pick the right spot for that one year to pop uh, wherever that is. I don't know. I just feel like, Gunner and Brock will not be there long term. I think it will be like whoever replaces Stetson after this year. I think that spring battle next year will define who sticks around uh, between those two. So if Brock wins the battle or Gunner wins the battle, that's the loser of that one. I would be surprised. Like <laughs> it's the, the only who wants to be the, the quarterback for South Carolina in 2023 bowl. Right. When the older guy wins the competition though, it doesn't necessarily, you know, put the writing on the wall. Cause I mean, say, say uh, Vandergriff is the guy as a junior mm-hmm. and Stockton is a, is a red shirt sophomore or whatever. Um, uh, Vandergriff could could have a great season and go pro, and mm. Stockton could have a couple years left to to be the starter. So I don't True. I don't know. You you never know what's going to happen. The quarterbacks transfer so much these days. 
just the sheer the sheer numbers like just the the probability of it it's like if all of these guys are probably not going to end up at georgia like jt daniels transferred to georgia and didn't end up at georgia so it's you never know really what's going to happen with the, the quarterback position but you know you got just you got to get the talent get as much talent as you can and, and let it work itself out on campus we all can't have tools uh dual sport quarterback stars like we do at the university of tennessee with nico Ia Maliava competing in his volleyball championships this summer, missing out yeah. on some elite camps to win a to, to win the whole dang thing with the with his guys. Multi sport guy, he loves volleyball. I like it. Um, I would play volleyball. I didn't want to compete. No, I don't like it. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that winning. None of that it factor. He doesn't have that desire. He's you know he's you know I don't like it. I'm gonna go. With He's gonna be a bust. Guy. I'm calling it right now. You know, I just I don't wow. like him playing volleyball. What is he? Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer. What's going on here? Yeah, that's a topical reference. There you go. <laughs> um, Who's is obviously Val Kilmer's not in the new one. Is there? A, yes, he, wait. Is I think he? he was. Oh, is he? I don't know. Is he not? He's not in Tom Cruise type shape, though, is he? No, I don't think so. But I know he's in it in some regard. I'm oh, pretty sure. You I can't do seen... Iceman. You can't just not have Iceman in that. Fair yeah. enough. I uh, I actually watched the original Top Gun like two weeks ago for the first time. So does it hold up? <laughs> I don't know. It was it was cringe for me. Was multiple, it multiple? Multiple C. I don't know. It was. Uh... <laughs> You know, I'm glad I've seen it now. Sorry, I don't know if I was super loud, but I'm glad I've seen it now. I uh, I just, the thing, um, if you ever want me not to do something, it's to really, really encourage, like, why? Like, when I see a lot of people that I don't think I have the same taste with, like, <laughs> dude, you got to go see it. Like, it's it's great. Where, oh, I'm people, definitely not doing any of that. Like, that's people out. People were adamant about it. It was kind yeah. of like Black, like Black Panther was so huge. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you got to see it, got to see it. And then I went to see it and I was like, yeah, I forgot. I, I I just don't. I'm not that crazy about superhero movies. So it was, yeah. it was a superhero movie. It was it was fine. It was like it was like Pacquiao uh, Mayweather. It was like, oh yeah, this is why I don't watch boxing like ever. These two huge names sold me uh, that this was going to be exciting, but it's still boxing, and it's just not really that exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, that yeah, that's a whole different can of worms there, uh, but. Matt, you have an idea for what we're going to talk about before I hit you with some June Q&A questions for you. But uh, you have this idea on Blue Blood Programs. Yes, Outline sir. it for us. I'm a big fan of this uh, Q&A you got coming up here. But um, yes, first, so with the Arch Manning thing, I feel like I started to see a lot of just like, oh, obviously he's not going to go to Georgia, that garbage offense. You know, Arch Manning would do that to himself, whatever. Texas is a blue blood program, all that, you know. So I got to thinking, what makes a program a blue blood program, mm-hmm. right? So I Googled blue blood, mm-hmm. right? Definition of blue blood, noble birth, right? Mm. So you're just born into royalty. You know, you didn't really earn that. You're just, you're born into it, right? Also, when you Google blue blood, you also get blue blood sports. So I'm like, you know what? I also want to see that. Mm-hmm. Blue blood sports definition, track record of winning. That's mm-hmm. basically what it says. So I feel like that's a good, you know, that's a good thing to go on, track record of winning. But when is that track record established? That mm. That's what, I feel like that's what determines who a blue blood program is. Because you have some of these programs that are some of the winningest programs of all time, but it's almost like to be a blue blood in college football, 
you had to do it in the early days of college football. Like you can't, it's not a club you can join after the fact. Yeah. It's the same with college basketball. It's like Kentucky and North Carolina, Duke, they're all in there. You're not dropping, you're not dumping them off if they start to struggle and just uh, uplift somebody else. It's not going to happen. Well, it's like in someone like Villanova, it's like, Mm. oh yeah, you've been great. Yeah. You're one of the best programs in college football (laughs) or college basketball. No, you're not a blue blood. You're not close. You're just not on that level. They're almost, they're the Clemson, you know, Mm. it's like Clemson has been one of the best programs in college football for the last decade. Mm. But when you have a blue blood conversation, like, no, sit down. You're not a blue blood. So it's like, it's such this confusing conversation. So I I started, I went back to 1972, right? Mm. 50 years ago. So if you don't, this is what I've come up with. If you don't have more than two national championships before 1972, you can't be a blue blood. Hmm. That's what it comes down to. So you look at Alabama, five titles by 1972. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame had 10. Michigan with eight. Ohio State, six. Oklahoma and Texas had three. Hmm. USC with four. So those are the blue blood programs in, in my mind. Alabama, mm-hmm. Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, and USC. Mm-hmm. But if you look at these teams for the last 50 years, that's a long time. Michigan has one national championship in the last 50 years, and they didn't even win it outright. It was a split national championship. Mm. Texas has one national championship in the last 50 years. Like, Texas is football, right? Like, mm-hmm. one national championship. And it was Vince Young putting the entire team on his back. Like, one of the most ridiculous individual performances of all time. Not that it takes mm-hmm. anything away from it. They got him. But, like, Ohio State with two national championships in the last 50 years. I think that's shocking to most people with how just much of a powerhouse Ohio State feels like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting like in the, how you can just be a certain way for 50 years, but we're not, we're not going to change our mind on who the Blue Bloods are. Mm-hmm. Miami has five national titles in the last 50 years. Like five in the last probably like 40 years. Like that's, that's way more relevant than Michigan – winning eight of their nine national championships before 1950. You know what I mean? Like LSU has five national championships all time, three in the BCS to present era. And like LSU is just there. Like if if you're determining what a blue blood is like right now, if you were just waking up to college football, like LSU is just boom. Like that's a blue blood, like elite players go there. They're, they're just, they just recruit another level of talent. They just get, LSU every year is just a, a champion. It doesn't matter who their coach is. They're their championship contender all the time. So I mm. feel like it's interesting where we make this distinction, where the blue bloods are. Well, I think we, from your list, like I just, I think it's all good, except I just, I think I put in LSU over Notre Dame. I think you just, I think you flip them. But no one's calling LSU a blue blood pro. But they should be. Like that's that's one I I mean I would call them a blue blood though. Like they're when, they're sixteenth. That's the most. The other interesting thing about these yeah. blue bloods is they're basically one through six all time in championships other, or in in all time wins other than yeah. USC at the twelve. But LSU's at sixteen. It's mm. like that's they don't have the tradition that a lot of these other schools have. Like two national championships before nineteen seventy two. And then all three of them in the last, what, 20 years or so, 18 years or so. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't have that. And that's the same with Florida. Like Florida, the last 
since Spurrier basically got there, like they're one of the elite programs in college football. That's way more relevant than Notre Dame having all of their national championships before 1988 and before, you know what I mean? So it's interesting how we just kind of have this, oh, when they're good, the, the college football is better, right? The sport is better. It's like, yeah, it's cool when Michigan's good, but it's in, like, and that it's not all about national championships, right? Like Bo Schembechler is a historic coach, all-time great coach, but never won one national championship. So you, it's not like that's just an entire era of Michigan football that was irrelevant, but national championships are the most important thing. And for so for those programs to be elevated at such a level and not really be any better than Florida or Florida State or Penn State over the last 50 years, that's a really long time for them to still seem like a bigger brand. Yeah, and I don't think – and I was – I was thinking about this too because we talked about when Michigan went and like what my whole thing about Michigan it's like it's cool you made you made the playoff like that's good made the first playoff appearance um since it's been uh around they have not seriously competed for a national championship in what are we looking at here 25 years 25 to 30 around then uh realistically um and then what we talked about is that like there's no path for Michigan to beat Georgia and Alabama in succession. Like there was no path for them to, to probably do that. Like if that happened, like that's just one of those things where I look at it and I was like, it's just, I don't see, I just don't see it happening. And you think about it where them Notre Dame and you look at their total titles and like what we call them blue bloods, that era, like Nebraska just missed out on the cut where we look at it. And we think 30 years out from now, do we see any titles Still, no, I don't see a title for Nebraska. I don't Nebraska see a title for Michigan. Is a really interesting one too, because it's like they weren't early enough to the to, to the, the party, yeah. table to be mm-hmm. a blue blood, but it's like the seventies through the nineties. They're just about as elite as it gets, and then they've been just kind of you know, like we like we said before, a way better program than we thought under Bo Pelini. Mm-hmm. But the last decade is just it's just been bad football, and I with the current landscape of NIL and TV markets, national TV and everything like it's hard to see Nebraska being that, that good again. I just don't see when we think about it, like, do you see a national title and just what are the odds Notre Dame, Michigan and Nebraska win a national title in the next 30 years? I just, I don't see it. I don't see the path with recruiting see, Notre see Dame though they've they've been to a national championship in the last mm-hmm. decade been to two playoffs the last three or four years I think Notre Dame is very close like I don't Nebraska doesn't seem like they're in the the stratosphere I think Notre Dame's the closest of the three without a doubt like I think Michigan it's like some of these teams they have to find their Deshaun Watson right they have to mm-hmm. find their Vince Young like they have to just find that quarterback that just elevates the program like, because they can't recruit like an LSU, like a Georgia, like an Ohio State. Like Ohio State, obviously, they had their Justin Fields, but every other year their quarterbacks basically put up the same number. So they're good. But it's um like, I mean, Georgia, they had their Herschel Walker, right? Like he basically elevated the program for, for three years in the 80s. But I just, I think if people, if someone told you that Georgia had as many national championships as Ohio State in the last 50 years, I think you'd be shocked by that. Like mm-hmm. if George had more national titles than Texas or Michigan over the last 50 years, like that's, that's shocking. Like mm-hmm. for Michigan and Texas to only have one title in the last 50 years, the way we talk about them was just kind of mind blowing to me. Yeah. I, um, 
I don't know. I don't think it's going to change, but I, I like it. This was interesting. And then looking at the titles, it's just, when is Michigan getting into that double digit? But Notre Dame cleaned up back in the day. I just, I don't know. When you, It's just interesting to think about. It's like, well, things can change because eventually like you can flip back the other way and Alabama's not going to be like this forever. And uh, Ohio State might have a bad hire. Or they might go on probation. Who knows? Like something might change. Um, but I don't know. I, I think... And- <laughs> And I looked up Michigan's 1948 national championship and Notre uh, Dame was ranked number one in the AP poll. So I don't even know. Like that's, so their last, their last two are, are maybe not even uh, unanimous. So not that college, not that 1948 polls were, were very reliable. I don't even know what was going on at that point, but, um, but yeah, also USC was trying to claim nine national titles, but mm-hmm. um, I made sure that they only got eight because AP titles just don't count in the BCS era. I'll, mm. I'll go, I'll die on that hill that LSU is the 2003 national champions, not USC. They were not going for a three peat when they played Vince Young because they had only won one national title. Wow. I'll die on that hill. I swear. I like it. I had to like lie. I remember um where i had that game on it was like right after i got in the first tv in my room and i remember staying up uh in ninth grade for the texas uh usc game and staying up but i remember i like had to be so quiet and not react to everything to not alert my parents that i was staying up and watching the entirety of that game and then i remember not being able to talk about it the next morning and be like oh what what happened what, what? <laughs> like i remember that's awesome oh was there was there a game who 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 won the match yeah that, that's awesome yeah it was something about too like the rose bowl like i feel like did keith jackson like come out of retirement or something for the game i feel like it being a big deal like he he did I mean, this he called game, it yeah but he didn't do it was he was kind of past his like doing games every week kind of era i think so there's something about it like in the t- in the time in the moment you knew that like this was like legit one of the greatest games of all time like this this was incredible i gotta remember my biggest keith jacks memory is the uh oklahoma or uh, nebraska colorado game where colorado with chris brown and company upended nebraska and uh just beat the living crap out of him do you remember that mm-hmm. game nebraska might have been number one in the country at that point you're talking number- um when they still got in the national title with their crouch when they got blasted by Colorado, like last game of the season, I'm thinking of Bobby, think so. Bobby Purify. I think was the um, the running back for who? Colorado. For Colorado. Well, yeah. maybe it was Purify and Chris Brown. Because remember Chris Brown, number twenty two for the ran. Titans. Oh, that's who you're talking about, Chris Brown. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He was. He huge. was he on that team? It was. He was. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, he was definitely better than Bobby Purify. I just remember that name, Bobby. It's a good Purify. name. I, he had like I think he had like 150 yards on on nebraska that game yeah they they scored like 60 isn't it amazing to think about and you like can you imagine carl durrell's Colorado buffaloes uh scoring 60 at any point in the not too distant over, over how many games yeah <laughs> over like the first half of the season maybe. life comes at you fast man life comes at you fast um main event here uh matt green we got uh, our, our, we're going to do a June Q&A type thing um, where I want to pick your brain about uh, some questions that I came up with. I think we should do this at the end of it each month uh, during the offseason. So I'll circle back with some more stuff uh, in late July. So I came up with uh, five questions that uh, I wanted to get your perspective on that I think uh, might elicit some uh, fun conversation. Uh, first, 
Who can is I, the next team? Can I can I press oh, yeah. time out real quick just yeah. before we move on for this Colorado Nebraska game? I got, you're definitely right. Bobby Purify had 20 for 154 and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Chris Brown had 24 for 198 and six touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, 62 to 36. Uh, Colorado mm-hmm. beat Nebraska. Uh, had 380 yards rushing. What year was that? 2001. And so that was when, like, Oregon was going to, like, claim a national championship, I think, that year. Because they were, like, number two in the AP poll, I think. And Miami was one. Mm. So it was, like, Nebraska was, like, three or four in the AP poll, but they were two in the BCS. So I think if Nebraska, like, won the Rose Bowl, then I remember Oregon making a point that, like, they were going to claim a national title or something because they were going to be number one with Joey Harrington, you know, Mm. in in their heyday. But – it did not happen because that was like the greatest Miami. It was like the greatest football team of all time. And they absolutely beat the brakes off of, off of Nebraska. Willis McGahee, Andre Johnson, Kellen Winslow, Clinton Portis, like Jeremy Shockey, just Ed Reed, like Ken Dorsey, John Bilma, like just, just an absurd talent on that team. Lito Shepard, maybe was he on that team? No, Lito Shepard's Florida. Oh, uh, Lito Shepard was Florida. Wait, who am I had, um, Sean Springs? On, on Trail Roll, I think, was on that team. And um, Trail Roll, yeah. Sean who Taylor. That may have been bef- a year before Sean Taylor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a loaded loaded squad. Mm. There you go. Um, six touchdowns. That's bonkers. Yes, Chris Brown went off. But yeah, so back to your, uh, back to your Q&A. What a waste of memory that I have. I just have this distinct, like, oh, what do you, what do you remember about 2001? Uh, Chris Brown ran all through <laughs> Nebraska. <laughs> what a waste. Uh, um, honestly, but, what you said 2001, I feel like I remember so many things from 2001. That was my, that was my, that was an only sports, that was the only thing that mattered in, in my life. Now I got other things going on in my brain, but in 2001, you could just consume only sports knowledge. Iverson's MVP, mm-hmm. Hobnail Boot. There's some, there's some big big time uh, events in 01. Hobnail Louis- boot? I don't recall. Um, <laughs> Luis Gonzalez of the walk-off, walk-off uh, World Series hit 01. Big time yeah. year for sports. Be Young Kim? Was that the closer for... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Be Young Young Kim. Oh, man. That was a good team. That was Tony Womack? Yeah. I ha- I uh, I love those uniforms. They should bring those back. Those purple ones, the purple pinstripe. That was that was a yeah, cool look. Same. And my last year of T ball was like yeah. the the first year the the Devil Rays and um, Diamondbacks came out to, to mm. date myself there. Okay. And uh, I remember my friend's uh, dad was the head coach, and we had like the first pick. So he's like, "You guys want to be the Diamondbacks or the Devil Rays?" And we, I guess we had the choice of what team we could be, and so we chose Diamondbacks. So I remember I remember loving those uniforms. I think I was both. I think um, I think I was both and pretty good on the Diamondbacks or the Devil Rays. Um, I remember getting hit a lot. Like being a lefty in Little League is rough, rough sledding because no one can pitch to lefties uh, mm. in Little League. So I was I was a lefty a hitter there. I'm with you with the, with the left lefty batting. Mm. The the lefty lifestyle. I don't I don't live that with you, but lefty batting. I'm right there with you. I I love being a lefty. I uh, I like being a lefty. It's different now. The whole signing, like them not. I condone. I condone your lifestyle. To be fair, I'm just right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do love. They just kind of like said, "No, we're not evolving for you." Like everything else adjusted over the years with stuff, and left-handed people were not going to complain that hard. Where it's like, "Are we really going to go?" 
protest no deaths for us? Like, are we going to go to Capitol Hill? We're going to march for the fact that our classrooms just decided we're right-handed only and you're going to have to <laughs> do this with your like with your uh, hand like you're not going to get your own type of desk like that's just what happened like lefties just never did enough about it and they were just like what what are you going to do you want us to redesign the whole system and build all these desks for left-handed people no you're just going to learn how to use the right-handed desk for uh, an, an unknown number of left-handed people what are we supposed to do about that it's it's a real thing. I just I always thought that was funny that we just never evolved and they were just like, nah, screw it. Nah, you deal uh, with it. Who, Matt Green, is the next team to win the SEC not named Alabama or Georgia? Um, I started to get I started to get super hot with this take, mm-hmm. right? So I think common knowledge or common wisdom would tell you Texas A and M, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. on the A and M's knocking on the door. I almost went real hot and told, was going to say Oklahoma as the next team to win mm-hmm. the SEC. Because I think uh, Alabama and Georgia, I could see them winning the next two or three. What, we got two more? Mm. Three, three more, and then we got uh, Oklahoma and Texas joining the, big tw- uh, the SEC. So, But I didn't. I'm not going Oklahoma. I'm going with LSU. Hmm. The last three coaches, as you know, that LSU has had have all won a national championship yes. and they've all done it in the first four years. Mm. Nick Saban did it in four years. Les Miles and Ed Orgeron both did it in three years. I guess Orgeron was kind of a three and a half year. But um, so I think in the next three or four years, Brian Kelly, he's been proven to be one of the best coaches in college football at Notre Dame. I just think the sky is the absolute limit for what LSU can be under a really good coach like Brian Kelly. Like they won a national championship. And I think we can all agree now. Like I said it at the time, I think we can all agree now. Ed Ordron was never a good coach. Like he, he just kind of lucked into just this perfect situation of the stars aligning and getting this incredible transfer quarterback. And like, that's the what right happened. Like he, he had, Joe to do, Brady. he had to do some good things for assistance for sure. But mm-hmm. I think they could tell a year after that team dismantled like they fired him you know like it's so ed ordron i think wasn't even a good coach and he won a national championship brian kelly is one of the elite coaches in college football and i think once he gets lsu to what the the program he wants like i think they're going to be right there with alabama and georgia and texas a&m every single year and i think i'm more convinced that they're going to be there with alabama and georgia than i am texas a&m because you know, Texas A&M, like he's Jimbo's recruiting great, but someone was recruiting great too. Like he he wasn't recruiting on Jimbo's level by any means, but A&M has been getting talent basically since they joined the SEC. Johnny Manziel, they just it was just perfect timing for them. They've hit the ground running. Like they've been they've been getting good recruiting classes, and we've still seen a lot of eight and fives. Like I know that that the COVID year they're kind of punished for. Like people don't really remember how good they were that year, but. I'm more convinced that LSU will be there quicker than Texas A&M. Interesting. I would still say A&M. Like I'm almost just to the point where I'm like, it's just too much talent where you have so many five and four stars on this roster that like, I genuinely don't know how you don't break through with that kind of blue chip ratio where we haven't seen recruiting like this over a two to three year span ever. So, I mean, the only reason you might not is because, 
how elite they've been over the last two or three years or, or whatever that looks like in 2023, 2024, mm. like whatever classes they have stacked on top of each other, you know, Alabama and Georgia, it's, it's going to be basically just as good, right? Like maybe they, maybe they're number one the next couple of years and Alabama's two and Georgia's three or four, but like those teams are signing elite classes too. So they're now, they're just getting the prerequisite talent that's, required to be able to expect national titles and sec titles but it's 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 still far from actually getting it done i think my wild card's probably arkansas like i think that's one that would be mm. like arkansas is a wild card one where Pittman's cleaning up and recruiting like arkansas is recruiting their tail off and kj jefferson's a really good player they are recruiting well at the quarterback spot like pitman has been able to keep odom bryles uh, as his coordinators like there's a lot of continuity there like they're probably the wild card scenario where if ever, the season where everything goes right i could see it like i could see them just getting like just having the perfect season where they uh they make it through but it's just a tall task to ask any of these non-bama AM teams to be like you gotta what you gotta run the gauntlet and then play georgia or something in the sc title game that's just a lot for a team that will not have the blue chip ratio necessary to win a title. So I don't, I don't know. I think they're close and I think they're a wild card team, but I don't know. No one else really jumps out in the so, East. Yeah, go ahead. So if you had to make a list right now, mm-hmm. who are you saying is number one? A&M? A&M. And then you would say Arkansas two? If I had to sit, if I do this list, I'd probably do A&M one, LSU two. Okay. Tennessee three. Arkansas four, Ole Miss five. Ooh, Ole Miss. See, I I would say because if LSU you look at the portal one. stuff, where you bring in a dart, Zach Evans, a bunch of former five See, stars, I and think, this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just saying like they're the other lightning in the bottle. Where if like he's the portal king, where we could have a portal SEC championship, like Lane Kiffin would be the one to do that. Where he just gets all the five star, four star guys in one year, and for whatever reason, they all coalesce and just create the perfect roster kind of like the lsu year where he could have that lsu ed orgeron year where um he has a joe burrow like jackson dart could be that kind of guy um whoever it is and then they just have this unbelievable year and run the gauntlet and go to the playoff or whatever but um i don't know i think it's just we'll have to see they just won 10 games the first time ever (laughs) for sure but no they're definitely in a good situation right now I think this is a very important year to kind of tell us like what kind of program Ole Miss is like, is their rebuilding year a six and six or is their mm-hmm. rebuilding reloading year a, a nine and four, you know, like I think it's a, it's a big, cause I think they're taking a step back, but they, if they're still the second or third best team in the West, like that's, that's another level that Ole Miss hasn't been at. Like they're, they're a kind of a, a stars align. So this is the year that we might could win the sec West type of team. If they can be competing for the West multiple years in a row, I think that would show huge improvement. If I'm making my list, though, I'm definitely going LSU and A&M one and two. I'm tempted to go Florida ahead of Tennessee, but Billy Napier's open letter to the to the fan base not I, a great, not that, great. That really worries me. <laughs> that that gives me uh, that gives me some Butch Jones flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing here with our media? Are we, are we all rowing in the same direction or what? <laughs> you know, like just being a little rattled by some of the pressure mm-hmm. before ever coaching a game. Not a great sign. 
So I, I almost want to go Florida or Tennessee right there, but after Florida or Tennessee, I think it's Oklahoma or Texas. I put we can't Oklahoma. throw them in. I wasn't including them. Yeah, I wasn't including the new ones. But I'm saying you're saying the next two in the SEC, we only have like three more years. I don't. So see you're saying this. it's Bama and Georgia only for like the next three years. No, you see, it could be LSU. They could mm. be in there the third or fourth, but I think. I don't see Ole Miss winning an SC championship in the next three years. And then once Oklahoma and Texas are in, like it's not getting easier for Ole Miss. Like they never, they've never even won the West. So I don't know. It's hard for me to see Ole Miss getting in there. And then someone like Oklahoma. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see them doing it before, before either of them. Do you think Saban's in the conference still when Oklahoma and Texas come? What if he leaves that he retires the year before they come in? <sighs> Man, that would um, that would be pretty crazy. That would uh, that would really open things up in a in a even more wide open sixteen team conference. He's I don't know. 70. He turned he seventy one. But look this at fall. him; like he looks the same as he did in two thousand and six. Like that's fine. When did I Bobby think, Bowden retire? What age was Bobby Bowden? I mean, him and Paterno got into the eighties. Like I want to say yeah. Paterno was like eighty five. That but sounds... Paterno also should not have been coaching at that point. Like <laughs> yeah. he was just so old. Like Bobby Bowden, and we don't even have to get into anything else. But Bobby Bowden, like at least seemed like a a functioning human being in like <laughs> two thousand four, two thousand five. Like Paterno, <laughs> no disrespect to Paterno. So I'll just I'll leave it at that. He he wasn't looking great in those last years. I mean, Bobby Bowden from eighty seven to two thousand three, two thousand four is one of the more underrated runs of any coach of all time. So anyone who's like Bobby Bowden's not one of the five best college football coaches of all, all time. I'm like, you're, you're, you're mistaken. Without this, a doubt. Yeah. That's why I had in Florida state in that blue blood conversation. Yeah. It's like three national championships in the last 30 years. Like that's way more relevant than anything Michigan and Notre Dame did before 1948. Like, sorry. First coach fired. In each Power Five conference will be who? Oh, man. Great segue, sir, (laughs) because the answer to that question is Florida State's own Mike Norvell. Ooh. Because this is the main reason. If it's Mm. going to be early, it's got to be a big-time program. Yeah. Jeff Collins is the answer. They've already made the decision (laughs) to fire him, but they're not going to fire him before the season's over because – what is Georgia Tech going to do the first six games? Oh, we're we're two and four. Oh, we got to fire Jeff Collins now. Like, no, two and four might be encouraging depending mm. on where they are. You know, well that so, schedule, there's no path. Like, it's just we've talked about their schedule. Like Georgia Tech has no path. Like Jeff Collins, it's over. There's exactly. Just no so it's like that decision's already been made, but I don't feel like he'll be the first one fired because mm-hmm. it, it seems like only big time programs fire the coach mid year because it's just like. This is unacceptable. You know what mm. I mean? A, a Clay Helton getting getting fired type of thing yeah. at USC. Like um, Ed Orgeron getting fired. Like it seems like bigger bigger programs like they, they can't wait to the end of the season. So mm. looking at the first seven games um, for Florida State, they open with Duquesne, which I didn't even know had a football team. <laughs> I've heard of their basketball uh, mm-hmm. program, but. After Duquesne, LSU, at Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, in, I think I didn't write it. I think it's at NC State, mm. and then Clemson. Like, mm. that's seven games right there. They're three and four. Mm. They could be four and three, maybe three and four, maybe two and five. Like, mm. 
it, would you be surprised if they lost to LSU, Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, NC State, or Clemson? No. They could lose all of those games. Yeah. And I feel like year, what is it? This is year three, right? Mm-hmm. Of Norvell. You start two and five in year three, you're done. Like I think it'd be different if you got Hunter. Like if that class worked out and you yeah. get the number one player, like that's I think that hurts. Like they did not that's close. Massive. Yeah, because that was a tangible like we're making sign. progress. The program is moving in the right direction. Exactly. Year three and the ACC has not been great either. So mm-hmm. it's like and it's not just the ACC holding you back either when you lose to the Jacksonville State. Right. So with that first seven games and then they have a bye week, it seems like a kind of a convenient time to fire a coach and kind of circle the wagons. Mm-hmm. Like I, I see Mike Norvell being the first guy that that's fired this year. That's interesting. I'm still going to go Brian Harson based on everything I've heard. Like I just, mm. I think Harson's just the one where it's like the, the dead man walking type thing. Like there's just, I, I don't see him being the head coach of Auburn very long. I think He's my number one pick when I when I'm forecasting hit. When you talk about short leashes, I just I don't think they get any shorter for head coaches, power five head coaches than what Brian Harson's walking into in 2022. Um, no, that's definitely true. The only thing. The, the win loss matters, right? So Auburn I think it does with, at Auburn. I think it no. <laughs> I think. But it I definitely re- matters some. But like winning cures all. Like so, Mercer, San Jose State, Penn yeah. State, and Missouri first four games all at like home. if they lose to Missouri LSU- and Penn State back to back, like that's probably it. But LSU is also that's the fifth one. So Oof. all five of those games are at home. But I'm just saying, if you you turn it around, if you beat Penn State and LSU and you start five and zero, mm-hmm. like it's not it's not out of the question for them to start five and zero. Like Missouri is not a good football team. That doesn't mean they can't beat Auburn, but like Auburn should beat Missouri. And we, like, it's hard. It's hard to know what we're getting with Penn state. Like Penn state is just one of those kind of unpredictable kind of wild card teams. They're not going to do much on offense, at least not with, maybe they're different with Sean Clifford this year, but LSU, obviously year one of Brian Kelly, like all with all of those games being at home, it's not crazy to think they could start five and oh, and like the entire just tone of the program is completely different. Then you have at Georgia, at Ole Miss, Arkansas, at Mississippi State, AM. It gets a little harder after that. But a strong start, I feel like, could make a a seven and five, eight and four type season seem a lot better. I mean, eight and four, if he goes eight and four, they can't fire him, can they? Yeah, they can. They're Auburn. They absolutely can. <laughs> If the boosters are like, yeah, and it's an ugly eight and four where the offense really sucks and it's not fun to watch and the fans aren't coming and the fans are upset and the people that pay a lot of money at Auburn and the recruiting's not doing any better and they're not using an IL and they're not doing like, no, I don't like I, I don't think this is going to let's, end. Well. OK, so let's let's play it hypothetically here. Yeah. Let's say they get off to this this great five and oh start, right? At Georgia, you lose. Mm. Say at Ole Miss, you lose. Beat Arkansas at home, right? It's a solid win. Win at Mississippi State. Uh, lose lose Texas A&M at home. Um, beat Western Kentucky. You're you're eight and three going into the Alabama game. Lose to Alabama, thirty four twenty four. Touchdown game going into the fourth quarter. Like go eight and four. Like I just don't think like. 
with win, you got wins over Arkansas, LSU, and Penn State by the end of the season. Like, I think that's enough positivity with in, in a year where it's just so wide open, the SEC West, and just so much negativity coming around the program. I feel like that would be a great season. Like, I don't like that. That if if eight and four can't can't keep his job, then I'm not I'm not sure there is a chance he keeps his job. Well, just to be clear, Auburn fans weren't happy at not happy at nine and four, eight and four Gus. Um, so that is, and that's a more fun offense and had more of a track record of success in the SEC. Um, he went uh, six and four in that last year, but that was a COVID year, so we don't really know what he. That sounds like an eight and four normal year uh, for it Gus. Does. Yeah, that's true. So I think he would have gotten fired at eight and four after uh, after that kind of year. You look at um, Gene Chizik, which obviously goes from eight and four to uh, three and nine. Tuberville gets fired at five and seven, but he went nine and four the year before. Uh, Terry Bowden uh, started off one and five after ten and three the year prior. Uh, Pat Dye was five, five and one that last Terry year. Terry Bowden. There's also some off the field stuff. True. With Terry Bowden too. But I just I think you're going to have to show more. Like it's going to have to show that you. I don't know. It just seems like this the hill is too high for him to climb um, and to climb out of it. And I just don't think the culture, like the culture fit will matter more than anything else. That's what you got to remember too. It's like, if he's not, if he's not being the CEO, go Auburn, Mr. Auburn, like shaking hands, kissing babies, fixing that stuff this summer and this fall. I just, it, he can go eight and four, nine and three, who cares? Like they're still going to move on from him. Like it's just, I think, I think a lot of it though, it's like, um, it depends on where the wins come because you're really wins... focusing on the on the field stuff, Matt. And let me tell you, <laughs> you have to throw that Winning out the window. All, man. It doesn't. It doesn't. Cause it like, they want to be a part of the, like, it just means more down here. You know that it just means more like you've got to be the other stuff. You've got to be the CEO. Like you have to be a CEO coach or you will not keep this thing humming. Like Jeremy Pruitt could have won nine or 10 games, but he was not doing the CEO stuff. Like that was something that just was not happening. And if you're not doing that and you're not but appeasing he also the right people. nine or 10 games either. That's true. That's true. But I think a lot of programs, <laughs> I don't think the donor base who pays the checks and pays the buyouts and all that kind of stuff will look past the winning, even if they, they don't like you or they can tell that you don't like them and don't prioritize them. I don't know. I just, I, I think, money talks and culture talks and culture fit talks. And I don't, I don't think so. I mean, he might just quit. Like he might go eight and four, nine and three and just resign. That's also a possibility. No, that's definitely, it's definitely a possibility for sure. I think Carson is definitely one of the coaches on the, on the hotter seats mm. coming into college football this year. I started to say Scott Frost, but Fro- Oh, can I give you my three, my three I that I like think Scott Frost is, is going to write the ship. Like I want him to write the ship, but I if he doesn't, make- he's going early. Like that's the thing is if Frost does not steer the ship in the right direction, like through five games, he's gone early. Like, I don't think he gets a full season. So I think Frost is actually a good bet because either things go really well for Nebraska and he gets like an extension or things are not great out of the gate. And he's one of the first coaches fired. I actually think that's a good gamble. Yeah, I could see it for sure. Well, you have him, and then there's two more I'll throw out. Carl Durrell at Colorado. Uh, I think there's no path to him keeping his job after this year. And then Dino Babers, 
if you look at the Syracuse's early schedule, I think uh, those guys are both probably gone. I just don't know if they'll be first. So that's probably my big four <laughs> to start things off is those and four. And you know who's not going to be gone is Who? James Franklin because yeah, it really Franklin. does not matter how bad they start the season. They just don't have the money. But it's also fight. like <laughs> – yeah. What I did just, he sign? Like, 10 years, like 120 million or something like that? He's just, worth every penny. James Franklin's a great coach. He got into Vanderbilt. I don't care. You win almost 10 games at Vanderbilt, you get a statue, you can coach wherever you want to coach forever. Like, they recruit really well. He hires well. Forever, but, he, um, James Franklin is a top 10 coach in the sport. Great recruiter. Great I, hire. I agree with that. Like, you just – Hey man, like you're Penn State. Like, just be happy to be there. Like, you're. I just Franklin should be there as long as he wants to be there. For sure, for sure. It's four and five and uh and seven and six. Although I'm I'm still gonna give him the five and four from the 2020 year because I'm still protesting uh, Michael Penix Jr.'s uh, yeah. touchdown or two point conversion. I can't remember what it was at this well, let's point. Let's also go through but... those losses this past year with Penn State and the injury stuff that hit. Like, it's yeah. it's a deceiving season for them last year i think they'll be fine i think they'll write the ship a little bit uh this upcoming year and i think they got a four or five star coming in uh, ranked as high as seven in 2020 and ranked as high as four and that's what i'm saying and just in finish both it. seasons unranked <laughs> but the whole point is your pin state you want to be in the like you're they're, in the top 10 every year they were also preseason seven in 2020 so i think it just went straight downhill from there but they started 19 last year it got up to four so I know. James Franklin's I, um, the least of Penn State's concerns. Like, no, without a doubt. He, I just <clears throat> he's just getting paid an absurd amount of money for uh, off some four and five and seven and six. Okay, seasons. you're just uh, you're really you're keeping this thing going. Um, who is the who is not in the Heisman conversation right now, Matt Green, but will be by the end of the year? Um, that would be the 2022 Kenny Pickett. Yes. Um, would be from quarterback U, which is Devin Leary out of NC okay. State. I think Devin Leary will be in the Heisman conversation because I think NC State will could be a 9-3, 10-2 type C. You got to win 10 games. Like that's the whole I thing is you got to win 10. I think so. I think that's probably true. And if they could put, they could make the conference championship because we all know what division they're in. We can <laughs> talk about it. But we know that they could potentially win that division. Mm-hmm. And – uh, I think Devin Leary, I think he's going to have a big time season and NC state. We know about the track record with quarterbacks and I, um, I, don't, I think he's getting some love and I'd seen NC state. I mean, I've seen some people have him top 10, um, come into this season. So I, I'm, I'm a little bummed about that because I wanted that to be, to be my hot take, but I guess mm-hmm. people are, uh, people are jumping on the wolf pack bandwagon. So yeah, that's my answer. You're not going to be mine, Matt Green. Hendon Hooker? It is Hendon Hooker. So I had a stat for you last week where uh, Tennessee was the only Power 5 school to be top 10 in points per game last year and to not win 10 games. You look at Heisman's now, you have to win 10 games. You have to be in the SEC title game. You got to be in the playoff picture a little bit. Hendon Hooker is not in the conversation yet, um, but if the offense, if he's even a little bit better than what he was last year with 31 touchdowns and three picks and Tennessee is knocking on the door of 9-3, and 10-2, and two, and they are right there neck and neck with Georgia and Bama in the fourth quarter, and he goes throw for throw with Bryce Young and uh, Stetson Bennett, he's in the conversation. Like, that's just going to happen. And a lot of people buying the Will Levis and Spencer Rattler, Dark Horse stuff. And I'm like, 
I just the track record is already there. Uh, Rich Gangarello is coming into Kentucky. We don't know what the drop off there for OCs is going to be. And we've never seen a high octane Kentucky offense to this point. Still waiting on that one. Uh, We'll see. I think Will Levis is like that kind of guy. He'll be a completely different quarterback in the NFL than what he is at Kentucky. But we'll see. Spencer Rattler, like it's just (laughs) we'll see with Satterfield if he can fix that stuff because the offense was bad last year. And I mean, it's not like they're loaded in the wide receiver room in yeah. uh, in Columbia. So I just, I don't buy that. It's just hidden hooker, like hypo offenses. We've seen Drew Locke, Dylan Gabriel, his guys have been in the Heisman conversation. And I I think not to be a homer, but I, I do think Hinden Hooker makes a lot of sense as the guy that they're like, I don't think so. And then if Tennessee beats Florida and Pitt early, I think if they're 4-0, 5-0 going in, if they're undefeated going in the Alabama game, Hooker is in the Heisman conversation. You also need to start the Brock Bowers for Heisman uh, conversation as mm. well. But um, no, I, uh, I I like that Hendon Hooker pick um, because we know stats are so are such a huge part of it. And with the offense that Tennessee runs, mm-hmm. like how good his stats were last year, like at the end of the day, wins and losses is going to be huge. And it's, just, it's, it's those moments too. Like if, if he goes toe-to-toe with Alabama, like you're saying, he goes toe-to-toe, maybe they upset Georgia, they upset Alabama, something crazy like that happens. Like, I could see, and, and even if they don't, if those are their only two losses and they're a 10-2, regular seat, top 10, top 8 team or so, mm-hmm. like, you could definitely see him in that conversation as well as, you know, as far as stats go, making some plays with his legs. Maybe he gets his Matt Corral on, has 8-10 to 10 rushing touchdowns or something, mm-hmm. you know. So I could definitely see that. I'm glad you brought up Will Levis because, mm-hmm. like, I feel like people are making me hate on Will Levis, and I don't want to hate on Will Levis. Like, Will Levis is solid, but now that he's getting all this hype, I'm just like, where did this come from? Like, Will, mm-hmm. where is Will Levis? Like, well, here's what it is: is that he's draft because he's six four, two forty, or whatever, however big he is. Well, I think that's it. It's that the hype is coming from his draft stock, not from what he's actually doing at Kentucky. So it's like they're equating the two different things where it's like he's profiling as a better NFL quarterback and has the physical tools and just like shape and makeup of an NFL quarterback. But it's like, okay, well, Stetson doesn't, but Stetson's going to put up significantly better numbers on a better team. Like Stetson should have higher Heisman odds than Will Levis. Like he's just he was better than Levis last year. It's okay yeah. to have a better, be a better college quarterback with no NFL prospects. Yeah, and that's and I guess that's fair. So it, I mean, people could be confusing the the NFL stock with mm. how good he's actually going to be at Kentucky this year. But it's almost like it's like a Kentucky quarterback. He can't be legit, but a, a, a Penn State quarterback that went to Kentucky, we can give him some hype. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's it's kind of it's kind of funny how just our perception of Kentucky, kind of what it is, and that's partly. Maybe that's partly on me. You know, I'm not giving Kentucky enough respect, but they were 73rd in passing offense a year ago. The team in front of them, 72, had one of the worst offensive coordinators in football, and Jim Donovan in the Washington Huskies. That offense was dreadful. They were behind them in passing offense. Like Will Levis is not going to put up the numbers in this Kentucky in the Stoops offense, where it's ground and pound. We're just going to be extremely physical. It's just. It's not reality. Will Levis is not a Heisman candidate. It's just not a thing. No, I do not see that happening at all. And mainly just because I don't see Kentucky being competitive enough to to have a Heisman quarterback. You know, yeah. like, you know, Andre Woodson, you know, that he had a great season and everything. It's like that was about as competitive as Kentucky gets. You know, mm. it's 
and maybe once every 10 years they can well they when can, they got there it was the air raid with how with uh humi what was his name uh how, the, mummy yeah mummy yeah like that was it like that's how they got in there like that's the tim couch era when you're really yeah. passing all over the place that's how you get in the heisman conversation as a quarterback at kentucky that's not what they're doing whatsoever. Yeah, they've become a better, more consistent program under Stoops, but they yeah. are not the place for a quarterback to go and put up numbers. Yeah, it's just not not reality. Sorry, Kentucky fans, uh, but I'm looking forward to another beatdown. No, I, I thought Rattler, I, I thought for sure you were going to hate on, on the Rattler uh, if I threw him in there. But oh, yeah, I just, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to imagine Will. And I, I don't want to hate on Will Levis, you know, like he's, he's one of those guys, it's like, the media hype and people's expectations kind of forms your opinion of certain players. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like there's plenty of players that are the exact same caliber, but one was a five-star recruit and one was a walk-on. So their perceptions of them are very different. I agree. Um, Next up, the next player, Georgia fans, this is right up your alley. I'm giving you a, a layup here. The next player Georgia fans fall in love with will be who? Um, do you have a guess for what my answer will be? No idea. Um, so this was, so I started to say Jalen Carter, mm-hmm. but I didn't know if he's too mainstream at this point, if he's too well-known, like, I mean, he's now he's getting kind of top five, top 10 pick hype. So mm-hmm. I think Jalen Carter is going to be an absolute monster. Like as good as Jordan Davis was and Devonte Wyatt was, I feel like Jalen Carter is like, is the true, like every down defensive tackle. That's just, can rush the passer, can stop the run, just throws offensive linemen around like rag dolls. Like he's just, he's an absurd athlete. He's the best defensive lineman in the country uh, this year. But the other two I have is either Eric Gilbert. Mm-hmm. I think Eric Gilbert, oh man, watching him in the spring game, it's hard not to get, like I'm trying to temper my expectations because I know this guy's dealt with some things off the field and whatnot. You know, you just want to see him actually lace it up and be in a Georgia uniform before you hype him up too much. But we did see that in the spring game. And man, he looked, he looked damn good in that uniform too, I will say. Uh, But so Eric Gilbert, I feel like he's just going to be an absolute freak. I don't know if he's going to be a tight end wide receiver, whatever he is, he's a weapon. I think with him and Brock Bowers, Georgia's tight ends are just going to be unguardable. That's not even including Darnell Washington. But the other one, I think, if he can just stay healthy, it's kind of applies to Kendall Milton as well, who I think could be this. But if Arian Smith stays healthy, like this man is like a 50-yard touchdown just waiting to happen. Like when Mecole Hardman left Georgia, I feel like Georgia has not replaced that just ridiculous speed, deep threat. And there's not many people in the NFL that have Mecole Hardman's speed. You know, so that's rare it's rare air, you know, but mm. Arian Smith, we've, we've seen him play in two years. He's played what, maybe three or four or five games or so for Georgia. And he, every game he plays, he's got a 40 or 50 yard touchdown. in it. he's just, he's got ridiculous track speed. And I think if he, if he's healthy, I think he just, he gives Georgia a dimension that they haven't had since Nico Hardman left just to take the top off of defenses. I like that pick. I like that pick. Um, We'll end on this. Which fan base is the most unrealistic in terms of expectations, do you think, Matt? Well, we got to start with the Tennessee Volunteers. I don't think that's a good one. I don't think I would start with that. I don't think they're that. Um, no, I don't. I feel like they, they're they too scarred. You guys are too scarred at this point. Mm. I feel like you're. 
you're ready to love again, you know, but you're prepared to be hurt, you know. I think Florida isn't prepared to be hurt again. They're just mm. because Florida, all of their history is like modern history. Yeah. So I feel like it's just, oh, let's just get the right coach in here. We'll be winning national championships again. But I don't know if it's that easy. And if now they're on, what we got? Mac, uh, Muschamp, McIlwain, Mullen, four. This is the fourth coach they've had. I mean, so three three coaches have come and gone without winning a national championship, without even winning an SEC championship. At some point, like the expectations for the program kind of change. And so maybe Mullen's like lack of recruiting has kind of brought them down enough to like where they're they're not as delusional as they once were. But I, I still I still don't know if they grasp the reality of like kind of how good they were with Spurrier and and Meyer and that you're just not going to have Hall of Fame coaches every single every single time you make it higher. And it, it I don't know, they're, they're getting so far removed from their SEC championship years. Like you got to wonder like when they are coming back. That's interesting. I I think mine I was going back and forth on this between Clemson where it's like mm. okay, if we get rid of the Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, back-to-back quarterback situation, the history isn't there. Like, the expectations, like, Dabo obviously built this great operation, this Death Star type thing, but, like, we saw you could still have a great operation if the quarterback stuff is not great and you lose Jeff Scott and you lose your coordinators finally. Like, it really is nice to have that continuity for years and years. Like, that's part of the reason I have Arkansas as a wild card in the SEC is, like, if people love working for Pittman, and Barry Odom and yeah. Kendall Bryles are just like, we're we're fine. We have no interest in being a head coach anytime soon. That goes a long way. Like that's just that's so a rare. Huge part of it. Yeah. So I think that is something to watch at Arkansas. But like I just you look at it and you're just like you expect to bounce back and like we'll be in the playoff this year. And I don't know, man. Like it the majority of your life has just been okay. Like they've been an okay program. And now it's like a national title expectation. Like we should be in the playoff every year expectation at Clemson. And I just don't think that's sustainable. And I think when it changes, like the ACC just doesn't have the resources. Like that's something else you got to remember is the ACC is behind the big 10 and the SEC significantly. And I, I don't know. I think Clemson over the next couple of years is probably the most interesting college football power five team to me because they're at a crossroads. Like they can prove a lot of people wrong if Dabo can weather the storm of the coordinator departures and just not having the right quarterback for a little bit. Like if he can keep this thing moving, and I mean he just got Vic Burley from uh, South Georgia, and it looks like they're gonna have a pretty good class this upcoming year. But like this is the it, everyone is pointing to. Yeah, you had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence back to back. That's a big reason why this thing worked, and you beat Alabama a couple of times, and all that. It's just you had two of the best quarterback prospects of the last 30 years in back-to-back years like you deserve credit for recruiting those guys and developing those guys and that's what i was gonna say but at the same time those guys are gone and you going three for three it's kind of like the oklahoma city thunder thing where it's like yeah congrats like you did a great job drafting james harden and kevin durant russell westbrook all together that was great great run but now you've seen it's really hard to do that all over again it's hard to keep doing that in a smaller market not have the resources to really keep to, it, drafting Hall of Famers over and over again is probably not going to happen. Expect an NBA guy like you to know that the Thunder did not draft Kevin Durant. 
Well, you know what? It's the people See, that Supersonics drafted Kevin. Okay, no, just, they were all. I'm just, okay. I'm just, I'm just being technical mm-hmm. with you, but no, you, you, you uh, kind of said what I was going to say that you do have to give them credit for having Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. That just five year period of just six straight years of going getting to the college football playoff. Like mm. it's hard to say. Yeah, you know, just remove their like five, six best years of their entire program and they're not that great, you know? I guess to that point, you could probably take away a lot of other programs, five, six good years, and they are still an elite program. So Mm. to your point, I don't know if Clemson fans are delusional because I I think they, I don't, it's hard to explain. Like, I feel like they, they might know that they had a good run. Like they they Mm. weren't, that they aren't a blue blood that, you know, yeah, it was amazing what Dabo did for us. And I feel like the way they're delusional is like, but Dabo's doing it the right way, so we're cool with it kind of thing. Like, as if their program is somehow, like, holier than thou. Like, they're mm, not doing the We don't need the portal. Yeah, that kind of thing. I feel like, I don't know if that's delusional, but it's just kind of irritating as a fan base. It's And, and now the, the NIL stuff, now anytime anyone doesn't get a recruit, it's like, oh, you know, I, the NIL, we just weren't, we didn't match the offer that, <laughs> That so and so had so. My, the other one I would almost said was Texas because I Ooh. feel like I feel like Texas just seems like almost a toxic delusional fan base. But they that, should like, be like that's the thing is like Texas should be. There's too much talent. Like Texas should be delusional. Like the expectation should be the playoff every year. That's I guess that's fair. So someone who shouldn't be there, who it doesn't necessarily have what it takes, but they think they should yes. be there. That it's Michigan. Feels, that I was just about to say almost feels like a Michigan or Penn State. It's like, yeah, you could have your years where you might beat Ohio State or you can compete with Ohio State, but you guys aren't winning national championships. Like yeah. Miami, I want to say Miami too, but they're they're kind of right there with Texas, like you're yeah. saying. Like, look at the talent that comes out of South Florida. Like, mm. you don't need to go north of Orlando to kids want to stay there. Wherever it's Bradenton cool. yeah. is, I don't know if Bradenton is north of Orlando, but yeah. you don't need to go north of Bradenton, Florida, to get every recruit you could possibly need to uh, mm-hmm. win a national championship. Yeah. They have every right to have high expectations. Like that's why they're frustrating is that like they have a right to have those frustrations. Like there's a reason that Jimmy Johnson at the peak of his powers at Oklahoma state was like, uh, I'm going to go to Miami and win some titles. And that was just, there's just a different level. And I think it's just, they can't get out of their own way. The Miami's and the Texas is, but it seems like both are, uh, this is probably the most optimistic that both fan bases have been about their program in a long time. So that's interesting, but I think Michigan's probably the best answer here, right? Like I think now that you made the playoff once, it's like, Oh, Michigan's back and this should be where we're at every year. We've gotten the, we've shaken off the Ohio state, uh, whatever. And it's like, no, I think Ohio state's going to beat you next year. And I think that might've been a blip. I think that was your your shot. Is Auburn a delusional fan base? I think they're probably the most delusional SEC fan base, but I think they have a right again. Like they do it every five years. Great talent, <laughs> yeah. great history. It's just like that's true. Like we've seen it. We know yeah. you guys can do it. So we're pissed when we're terrible. We yes. know we have what it takes. So I guess that's fair. It's just damn, their schedule is just so brutal every year. Like firing Gus Mazan for nine and four, and then you look yeah. at how they recruit and who they're playing. It's like it's like firing Mark Richt for ten and three. Like, obviously, that turned out to be a good decision for Georgia. But, like, Georgia was consistently recruiting the, the sixth to seventh best class in the SEC or 
maybe eighth to ninth best class in the country, maybe the fifth to sixth best class in the SEC. And they were consistently the fourth, fifth, best, sixth best team in the SEC. And it's like, it wasn't surprising. Like that's kind of what you're recruiting, the level you're recruiting to. So Auburn with what they have, like, are you really supposed to go better than nine and four when you're playing Georgia and LSU and Alabama every year? And you're also not afraid to schedule Clemson and Penn state and Oregon at a conference. Like iron sharper, our iron sharpens iron, man. That's what they're doing. They're <laughs> just preparing for the big games. I mean, I think the most logical fan base is like Mizzou. I think that's like the best place to be a coach where it's like every Mizzou fan is like, we're just happy to be here. There's there is no expectation at Mizzou where we understand like we had that great run early on. Yeah, I see. Just, I feel like Ole Miss. Like mm. Ole Miss is like because they have the passion. It's like Missouri. True. Yeah, they probably know what they are and they're they're cool with it. But Ole Miss is like we're gonna have an awesome fucking time down here. Yeah. Can we win some football games? Uh, yeah, sure. We can do that too. But we're Lane just, is the perfect cultural fit for for Oxford. He really is. Yeah, it it just fits. So Ole Miss, like if if they go, just get a mascot. Like we gotta we gotta figure out the permanent animal mascot that they're, <laughs> they're gonna go with. We've gone the bears, the sharks. You need to figure it out, Ole Miss. You remember who the um? Oh man, I shouldn't even brought this up. Who the fans, vo- the students voted for when they had it like up for? I remember you telling me this on a previous podcast, uh, and I, I and I lost his name, so I shouldn't even brought it up. But it's the dude from Star Wars, the orange dude who's Jar like, Binks? "It's a trap." Oh, dude, you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, because yeah. he was like the head of like the rebel forces or whatever. Oh, so yes. It's like they had something going there with the rebels, yeah. but um. But yeah, I think once he won, I think they kind of vetoed the, uh, the the student vote. But yeah, if if Ole Miss goes eight and five mm. each of the next four years, I don't think there's any Lane Kiffin hot seat talk whatsoever. I mean, he's already maybe the best coach in Ole Miss history. He won ten games for the first time in school history. Like, there's a path. Like, I don't know, man. Like, so if they should... go if they go seven and seven and five or. Eight and five next two years, then a couple seven and six years. Do, do they fire Lane? Kiffin? No, like it could be way worse. We've seen it be way worse with Oregon, with like the bad Cutcliffe years. No, fair. we've seen it way worse. He's I think Arkansas nuts. is right there too. They're like, we have a coach that wants to be here. Yeah, like yeah, he wants to bathe good. with Razorbacks. Like no, this man is staying as long as he wants. Like you know, hardest to get somebody who wants to be here and can recruit and all that kind of stuff. No. Great cultural fit. Like Lane and Sam, yeah. I think are both great cultural fits. Um, I think Leach probably is too in Starkville. Like he's like the ultimate Starkville guy where he's just chilling and he's like, Hey, we'll go 10 and two one year. And y'all I like just, it. I don't, I don't trust the Leach's level of consistency. Like, well, I there's just, no consistency, but it's just, that's, they, I don't, it's Mississippi, Mississippi State, State. So who knows? Well, I think they know that like, he's going to get us one, like one of these years, he's going to go like 10 and two, 11 and one where it's like, how in the heck is Mississippi State like in the SEC West? Uh, like just the the Egg Bowl decides if Mississippi State goes to the SEC title game. Like that's going to happen at some point. Would you would you be willing to put money on that? That the Egg Bowl that, that will Mike decide Leach the West. A, no, that Mike Leach has a ten win season in his in his Mississippi State tenure. It depends on the years. How many years are you giving me? How how many years is Mike Leach going to be there? You tell me. I think if you give me seven Mike Leach years, yes. Five is dicey. Five and a half. Oof. I don't know. We'll nine see. guaranteed. I, I, I would, lock in nine. He's getting nine. 
I could give him a nine win season. I don't I don't see I don't see Mike Leach leading um, Mississippi State to a ten win season. I just I if he gets that. the right quarterback, if he has like some kind of like if he has his own Gardner Minshew and they just pass all over everybody, maybe it's Will Rogers. I don't know. He's like Graham Harrell. Yeah. Gardner Minshew, none of that. I mean Graham Harrell. <laughs> okay. What, what Green- did Gardner Minshew in? Did he win anything? I mean, did he win anything? I mean, they were in the like if they had beaten Washington in the Apple Cup that year, they're in the Pac twelve title game. Okay, so they did have that one good year with yeah. Washington State. Okay. He did. Yeah, yeah, they were like close to top ten, I think. Yeah. And I think okay. if they win that and win the Pac twelve, like they're they're knocking on the door. I don't know if that was the year that the the Huskies went to the playoff and lost to Alabama. I'm not sure if that was the same year. You could be right. Um but there you go. Matt Green, find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. All that good stuff. And uh, I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right. That'll do it for the full ride here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on a Thursday, June 30th, 2022 edition here on the program. Thank you for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen uh, here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Don't forget, uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us or any of the three episodes today that you can all check out all across your preferred podcast player, all the episodes right there. Um, So go ahead and check that out today. Um, But yeah, if you did, uh, make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, But as always, thank you. Uh, for your support, email the program with any mailbag stuff or any questions you have for me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check out the homepage, chasethomaspodcast.com. And also read me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email, become a subscriber today. Read about DeJounte Murray that you can go check out, who is now an Atlanta Hawk. Crazy times in the NBA. Uh, and it's only going to get crazy over the next couple days. So there you go. All that good stuff. Um, check that out. And more content on the way as this week continues rolling along. Thank you, as always, for your support. All right, Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.